Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 466 of the JV Club, and welcome to week two and the final week, indeed, of Max Fun Drive in this, the year 2022. I have been holding on to this episode and this week's guest just for maximum fun, because it's a time when more eyes are on the podcast and also a time for us to get support from you, the listener. We are a listener-funded network, and without you, we could not make podcasts like this one with my amazing guest, Robbie. Chowdhury. I have been closely following and admiring Rabia's work from Serial Forward. But for anybody who hasn't been keeping up with the amazing stuff that Rabia has been doing, she is the person who brought Adnan's case to Sarah Koenig, and thus Serial was born, and has been advocating for him ever since. And he is going to have a very good year this year, from what I understand. And a lot of that has to do with Rabia. She is an advocate, a mother, a friend, a fighter, and just all around an awesome human being. Now, I'm going to be talking more about opportunities to support this podcast and all the wonderful podcasts at Max Fun later in the episode. Please, if you can, give it a listen. Don't fast forward through because there are some amazing opportunities and things that will be coming right into not just your ears, but your fingers, eyes, hearts. And if you want to get a jump on things, you can go right now to MaximumFun.org join. I will be back with more. In the meantime, please enjoy the wonderful Rabia Chowdhury. just dropped a new is it a whole season or is it i haven't listened to it yet because it just showed up in my feed of undisclosed i didn't know it was coming um undis- yeah so you know we do one long season a year which we do do every fall and that was my i'm the one who i was the lead producer Dude, don't you do or wait are right. you saying this to me or are you saying this to somebody else who wouldn't know this because i am a oh, okay. rabid <laughs> fan i know it all okay. i know how hard you worked on that last season Colin does like the shorter seasons, you know, and Susan and I do the big one. So this is Colin's season. Oh, okay, so he's cool. doing like a four episode season. And then, yeah, it'll wrap up in March. It's just four episodes, but it's a good case. Oh, it's an great. important case to look at, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I It showed up as I was absolutely ignoring a ton of work listening to uh, the Trojan Horse Affair. <laughs> Like, oh, my God. Could not, I could not. I literally canceled a meeting with a friend yesterday. I was like, I, something's come up. And like had to continue listening to that. Fuck me. I'm on the seventh episode. OK, you're a little bit ahead of me. It's I feel like because I I, I don't know. One person tweeted that, that the buildup is amazing, but then the end is a little bit like disappointing. Although so far, the story itself to me is so telling, especially because I worked I did a lot of work in this field, the CVE, it's called countering violent extremism and the anti-extremism government stuff. I, I worked in that stuff in the policy and practice space for like seven years. Yeah. So really fascinating to me. And I, I always heard what a shit show the UK was, Ooh. but this is a prime, prime example of this crazy woman, Rizwana Dar, arrest oh her God. ass already. <laughs> interesting to know that because I've been off I also have not been on social media for the last few days and there are enough twists and turns that I'm sort of still prepared for the very end to be like anyway it turned out the head of uh overseeing for education in the UK wrote the letter like I'm just still kind of afraid that I mean, it, like some white dude is gonna have written it but that that would even be a better plot twist but right now I'm kind of embarrassed so my brother-in-law is from Birmingham and my sister lived there for six years and he was born and raised there. So I reached out to him and he's like, Oh Robbie, this whole thing was so embarrassing. It was embarrassing because it was basically just like a bunch of like infighting between some, some of the Muslims there. Sure. But it, 
But on the basis of that, they, they created national counterterrorism oh policy, yeah. which is a really ridiculous. It's thing. insane. It's so yeah. fascinating. But the whole relationship of, you know, the two hosts and the discussion about where journalism is headed and all of that feels like so important, especially yeah. on with that platform, because we all know that, you know, when The New York Times bought cereal and it's cereal being cereal already sort of it just has a reach that, you know, yeah. That, that there are other very, very wonderful podcasts that may not have that kind of reach. So yeah. the conversation has been happening for such a long time about what journalism means. And obviously, Sarah got into it way back when, blah, blah, blah. But this idea of two totally people, two people coming from two different places about the same subject. And it's I, I don't know if you, you've gotten to a point, but there's it's not a spoiler. It's just the conversation that that they have about well, how am I supposed to fucking keep it together? Like, what are you talking about? How can I, I can't, yeah. how, what am I, I'm supposed to be measured when someone is looking me in the eye, basically saying like, you know, terrorists, like you, for example. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's no, intense. I, I, I did get, I heard a couple of their exchanges where Brian is like, I can't believe that just happened. And, and Hamza's Hamza. like, this is the shit that we, you know, yeah. I, I love hearing that. And especially after our experience with the original serial where Sarah Kane, where, me, Adnan's mother, the whole community is saying, this is what we are facing. And she's like, but really? I know. Real? I'm are so sure? glad you acted on that so fast. <laughs> I'm going to try not to say all of the things that I would have wanted to say to you for the last like six years, but <laughs> I really, because I know you get it all the time, but I will end up saying, I'll say it now, Adnan's story, I've listened to it three times. I love your voice. Oh. I love the book. And I have been. I am just getting emotional now. I'm this person. I have all these pe- people who come to me who are like, "This thing you did was so meaningful to me," and they start crying. And I'm like, "No, no, I'm just a dork. Let me hug you." Like, no, no. And now I'm doing it. But the quotes that you pull from the Quran and like the way that you incorporate day to day Muslim life and Islam and just how I think you so beautifully. And I'm, again, I'm sure you've done a million interviews about this. I just like never am on the internet. Unless I'm like, hey, thanks for tweeting this. But what you brought to an already such an important story and such a beautiful story and such a painful story. But weaving that in, you just I just feel like you 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 brought so much to it that people who are just not exposed to Islam for whatever reason in their day to day lives. It's just it was so great. That means so much to me because for me, you know, when I was asked, and I literally was, I didn't pitch this book. I was asked to write this book. I said, I will do it, but our, the voice of my community and our, like how our worldview. And so people really understand what was happening and how we understand things is really important because it was, it was really, it wasn't completely erased from serial, but it was dismissed. And that's like been a- a pain point for me um, because I feel like it's not like serial happened in 1985. It happened at a time where there should have been more awareness about like listening to people in communities um, tell you what their lived experiences are like, but you know, communities of color and marginalized communities. So for me, that was really important. And I said, and it was, and I said, it's just as important to make sure that Adnan's voice is in there to the extent we can, I want to have letters in there. And so, you know, the editors were fantastic. The publisher was great that they allowed me to do that. Even though I know that, there might've been some concern about, is this going to turn some people off? Like, like, does this sound preachy? And I didn't want to come across preachy. I just wanted to say, this is our, this is our context. Oh It doesn't come. I mean, I can, I defy anyone to say that it comes off as preachy. It's just, 
I just don't know how many books have achieved the levels of what that book achieved in terms of oh, like it's, it's no, but it's like it's <laughs> it's so it was already abundantly clear that Anand is innocent from all of the hard work that you and Colin and Susan did, and thank God you guys got together and did that podcast because I like many people finished Serial and were like, huh, maybe um, right? I feel like well, no, I mean I was like, wait a minute. How are you saying maybe like there's it doesn't feel like there's anything here suggesting that Adnan is guilty, but you've left it as this giant question mark and I just don't see it. And I don't like that. It's so ambiguous. And so it was so oh, gratifying to have you guys launch that. Oh, that's great. If I could ask Sarah Koenig one thing, it would be this thing that like. They're so amazing. Whether well, you listen to S Town or this new podcast, Trojan Horse Fair, they're incredible at structuring story. Yeah. But there was a couple of major flaws in this. Number one, the premise that what if you don't remember what you did six weeks ago? Flawed premise. But another one was, I think it's in the very first episode, Sarah says, if this. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say. Adnan's time can be accounted for. That yeah. means he's innocent. Yeah, which it was. Sarah, you're the one who found the, <laughs> the got the witness to talk. Like, uh, unless you're saying, like, she never says that I think Asia's lying or I think Asia's right. wrong. She never gives us our, her analysis of that Asia is credible, which means, I mean, it's you're the one who said if, if what Asia's saying is true, that means he's innocent. But yeah. then you don't come back to that. And that And then really instead we me. lean on the Nisha dial as like as if those two things have the same weight or maybe that the Nisha thing has more weight it is crazy well and then it's also strange that she just never it's like so crazy that she's never said anything about it ever again but maybe she but so that's what's interesting too about this being a serial production is that I to me this feels like an interesting kind of inversion of what went wrong with serial and you know what I mean a little bit of a I mean I don't think it is I'm like, is this a little bit of a sorry, Muslim guys? <laughs> it, sorry, Muslim community. <laughs> it might be. I mean, I it know. might be. But it's not like you're right. It's not like they went out to find the story to say sorry. It that came to them. It was delivered to them via yeah. Hamza and Brian Reed being like, hey. Listen, I think Brian is a fantastic journalist. I mean, but also they're not trying to I mean, Brian is not the same as Sarah. I mean, like, I want to make that distinction, but also the fact that 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 he kept Hamza in as an equal partner in this story. Oh yeah. He didn't just say, This is a great story, we'll do it. Yeah. Like they're yeah. like, it's important to have somebody in there who is investigating with us, telling the story with us, who knows what what the reality of, of this community is versus somebody coming in from the outside. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, for I sure. look, um, if anything else, um, and, and, and look, seasons lap or, or their last venture, which was the, uh, about the criminal justice system in um, that one jurisdiction in Ohio. Also, I was like, if only this had come before non like maybe Sarah would have had a different perspective, right? Like yeah. she didn't, yeah. I feel like she didn't know a lot about criminal justice when she did this story. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. So you're amazing. I already fawned over you once at Pod X and totally <laughs> could not keep my cool. You're amazing. Um, I'm like fangirl. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm just I'm just a gross, a gross slobbery fan. But and so it really means a lot to me that that you're doing the podcast. You've long been a dream guest again, because I feel like you are just the sterling example of somebody who, you know, and Bob being the sort of like white guy version of this, of which there are many, but he's very special to me, of somebody who's like, I mean, you know, 
like his heart is so true and he's so in it and he and yeah. he is so willing to eat shit when he's like, oh, my God, I really put my foot in it, guys. Last week, remember when I said this? I'm an I'm an idiot. I'm an yeah. idiot. And yeah. like the accessibility of that and just your transparency with how Undisclosed came to be and giving credit where credit is due and all of that stuff, which kind of reminds me of the Brian Reed Hamza relationship which is this idea, like you hear them as equals. You understand yeah. immediately because of all of the kind of behind the scenes audio that you get. You're like, oh, there is no sense. Of, like Brian, when he's when he's trying to even school a little bit, Hamza, he's immediately like, I'm so sorry, dude. I, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching. Like I'm, I'm not lecturing, right. you know, and, and that Hamza feels comfortable being like, mate, come on, mate, come on, come on, mate, come on. No, come on, mate. You know, it's like, it's Hamza great. Does not, Hamza, Hamza does not defer to him. Not at all. Maybe like, you know, I'm sure he did defer to him in terms, in terms of production and technical stuff and how to interview those kinds of things, but not in the substance of what's really at the heart of the matter here. Well, and true, I think that's, that is again, part of this idea of journalism, maybe not being the sacred thing that only exists in the halls of academia where, you know, God forbid you stand up to somebody who's been in the business longer or whatever. It doesn't mean that you can't be respectful, but you don't have to be deferential because his where he's coming from is as powerful, if not more important and powerful than where years of journalism experience. They Those things have to exist together side by side and that just shows again like you don't have to go well i I don't know maybe you know better than i do it's like no i need to say this you didn't leave it to sarah to say well she's the journalist i guess i don't have a place in this you step forward and say "Mm, you know what i'm i'm gonna also tell this story and i'm gonna tell it in a deeper more you know much more detail-oriented way and i never expect anybody to step into a story a journalist comes outside your community whatever and, and have to know every like you know a lot of people are like there were some people who were who felt like Sarah shouldn't tell the story. I don't have that kind of a problem where I'm like, this person shouldn't tell the story because they are, they're white or they're black or whatever their background is not the same as what's in the story. My concern is like, whoever is telling the story, are they taking into account the experiences of people who actually are in the heart of the story? And are, are they taking it seriously and giving them legitimacy and validating where they're coming from versus you know, so that's that's the difference here. But I I'm loving I'm love I can't wait to hear what comes next. I keep telling everybody everybody I'm meeting I'm like you got to listen to this. The funny thing is S Town is probably my favorite podcast of all time, more so than oh, Serial, wow. more so than yeah. Unmasked. I can't even I have never gone back and listened to that first season of Serial because I I I have a physical. <laughs> I, I haven't either. I haven't either. I haven't, but I will. I will later. Um, when of Don's home, I will. That's fair. That's fair. I will too. You know what? I will too. I'll listen to okay. it when not's home. I'm fine with that. Great. Well, that's one of the things that uh, that I kind of wanted to talk to you about regarding, you know, how you obviously before you were a podcaster and you continue to be an attorney, you were already helping people who didn't have a voice have a voice on a larger scale or helping people who didn't know how to navigate the government or the system that was making it difficult for their family members to get in and out or the way that they were being perceived in this country or elsewhere. And the joint task force that you've been a part of where, you know, you're talking to Israelis and uh, Muslims about the relationship, you know, that all of that stuff is is 
is of a piece. Like it, it's there's no surprise that you ended up getting involved in podcasting because it had this reach. Were you like that when you were a younger person? Were you even within your own kind of community? Were you like a person who was sort of going, uh, I'm sorry, I know this isn't technically my story, but like, I just need to point out, Auntie, that da 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 da. Like, did you sort of have that voice then? I always had, like, I was that kid who was always reading Time Magazine, Life Magazine, like in elementary school. Like, I was Amazing. always very hyper aware and concerned of social issues yeah. and oppressions and injustice. Like, this was something that, like, my mother talked about all the time, but I was always very shy. I, I was in a, a very, very shy person until I got divorced. Um, that's, I think, the turning point in my life that turned me into like everything that was inside me. I was finally able to say, but I did, you know, I was the editor of our school paper and the writer, the only writer at one point and the school photographer. <laughs> so I had like, <laughs> you were a one woman show. <laughs> I, it, I really was for about two years. Um, so I had like, you know, some avenues to, to write about different issues and things that, um, in the small little rural community we grew up in that might not have been of it. But I also was, you know, it, it was scary. I didn't want to bring a lot of attention to stuff because I didn't feel comfortable um, at that age. You know, like, like I said, I mean, we were in a rural community, we were a minority. Um, and it wasn't really until I was in my early twenties that I was like, I really started like writing was my first advocacy, you know? Yeah. Um, I started writing from local papers, writing op-eds, pointing out, you know, as I was doing, as I started getting into immigration and civil rights work, writing on those issues. Um, yeah, so writing was my first advocacy and writing is probably my first love. And, um, but I always was doing commu community work I've been doing for a really long time. Um, some kind of grassroots work I've been connected to probably since college. Yeah. Um, and a lot of interfaith work, a lot of Muslim Jewish stuff and, and general interfaith work. Was that something that um, I know? I mean, I feel like I know <laughs> if you follow and I disclose and, and read a non-story, I feel like I have a really like a very good sense of what the social makeup and what the cultural makeup was of a non-high school. I know you guys didn't go to the same school. Was that were the, was there a similarity there? Was could you relate to the experience that Anan was having? Um, and and your brother didn't go to the same, so I didn't go to the same school. No, they went to different schools, but they we were, they lived in the same community. My parents yeah. lived in the same, like they my they lived a couple of streets down from us, like you know Anan's family. Um, it's not that I could relate to it, but I understood it. I mean, like my high school experience is very different because my sister and I were the there was one of the South Asian girl in our high school. Whereas um, that's when we lived in that little rural community. When we moved to, when my parents moved to the suburbs of Baltimore, there's a lot of diversity, a lot of Muslims. We were very close to the mosque. So naturally the local school is going to have a lot more representation of South Asians and Muslims, but it's not any different than, than my experience in the sense that there were things that I wish I could have done in high school that I knew I wouldn't be culturally allowed. Like I would have loved to go to the prom. Um, first of all, nobody was asking me, but also if somebody asked me, I couldn't go. And I remember I went to, to I went to homecoming twice as a photographer, as a school photographer. I love it. What a Peter yeah. Parker. What a Peter I, Parker. I wasn't, you know, I couldn't go as, as somebody attending the yeah. homecoming dance. I, I couldn't go to school dances. How bittersweet. But I it was kind of bittersweet because you're there. I'm there in my jeans or whatever. Everybody else is there on a date and they're, you know, dressed up. And it wasn't like I didn't want to listen. I had a crush on for at least two days. I would have a crush on every single boy in the school. <laughs> you know, your hormones are raging. You're like, does totally. anybody notice me? I'm a girl who likes boys. Is anybody? And I remember one time the, this, I was stuck in the, 
the dark room because I was with the photographer. Yeah, that takes forever doing. I took one photography course in college and I was like, I can't afford this time wise <laughs> or money wise. Like it was so expensive and took so much yeah. time. You know, I kind of loved it. But this was again back in the, this is before the internet, before computers, before anything. Like we had to, uh, my layouts with the newspaper were like in those big graphs yeah. by people. So I was stuck in a dark room with, with, a, with a captain of the football team who was exactly what you expect a captain of the football team <laughs> to be like. A lovely, sweet boy, but a complete meathead. And I, and the whole time he was like breathing, he was a big guy breathing oh my over my God. shoulder as I'm trying to teach him how to do it. And then he goes, and it's like dark and it's red lights, right? And again, my hormones are already like out of, and he's like, Rabia, can I just say something? You're really cute. Why don't you have a boyfriend? And I was like, the captain of the football teams I'm, thinks I'm cute. And I knew he had a girlfriend. It wasn't like that. Yeah. But like, it was a moment that was to this day is seared in my mind. Cause it was the first time I got some kind of affirmation that the opposite sex even found me. But I had like, <laughs> you know, that whole experience was wiped from, from me because we weren't allowed to do any of that. So I, I completely understood like, how my brother and Adnan and all these kids were like skirting around it and hiding it and, but still being part of, you know, yeah. like that life dating and all that stuff. Which again is like, that's like an experience of many fundamental Christians, an experience of Jehovah's. Like I didn't have, there was, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. And if there is a large contingency of Muslims there, I absolutely was never exposed to them. I was a white minority in a, in a school of Mexican Americans but, like, there were people in my life of all colors who weren't allowed to do stuff. It wasn't, like, the othering of a religion. It was, like, oh, my parents won't let me date. Oh, my parents will. Like, okay. I mean, my, my argument is, like, are you even a teenager if you don't hide something from your parents? A hundred percent. hide something. A hundred percent. However permissive your parents are, there's some, there's a limit to their permissiveness. So then you're going to, like, do that. The Absolutely. Stuff that they, you know, this is normal. That's natural. Oh, hello, it's me, Jesse Thorne. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. It's Janet talking about Max Fun Drive. Now, real quick, I just want to revisit what is Max Fun Drive? Well, as I've said, Max Fun is a listener supported network. And honestly, it is such a fulfilling and wonderful symbiotic relationship to have. I'm so happy to be a part of a network and community that works this way because it truly does reflect how important it is to have listeners that we love and respect and appreciate. And in turn, you're making our shows possible. So Max Fun Drive is just the one time of the whole year that we do want to put a lot of energy into letting you know how you can continue to support the show or start supporting the show as a member. Now, if you listened to my episode last week, you know that I had some goals set for support for my podcast, The JV Club, specifically. Do you love that I just said the title of the podcast like you didn't know what you were listening to? And if you're new to this and you're thinking about doing it, when you go to MaximumFun.org slash join, you can select the podcast that you would like to support, that you would like to have your hard-earned money go towards. So the idea is for you to include my podcast when you make those selections. It has been quite a week since my last episode, and there are certainly things happening in the news and world that are, at least for me, so stressful. I bet they are for you, you wonderful-hearted people, and I totally get it. So I haven't yet reached most of my membership goals, but I am happy to report that I did reach, along with the wonderful gents at We Got This, the 100 new support cap for our crossover episode. So we are going to be releasing that this Friday. It is the We Got This JV Club crossover where we talk about best 
teenage movies. Best movies about being a teenager. At 200 new Boosting or Upgrading members, I have promised to read from some of my teenage diaries. They are juicy as hell. I've never done this before. I'm very afraid to, but it absolutely is my way of sharing a little bit more of myself and saying thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting the podcast, for supporting the network and for making it possible for me to keep doing it. And if I reach 300 new boosting or upgrading members, I will be doing a live trivia game, likely on Instagram, but that is yet to be determined, in which I award prizes for the answers to those trivia questions. I have a lot of Legend of Korra, JV Club, and Avatar The Last Airbender swag that I would be so excited to share with some of you. So hopefully we can get there and I can send out some goodies. So with all that in mind, will you please join us as a member? You can join, you can upgrade, or you can boost by a few bucks between levels. That means if you're already supporting at $5 a month, you can pop it up to six a month, seven or eight, or you can jump up to 10. All memberships at $5 a month or more get our fantastic bonus content. And I'm talking about bonus content across the entire network, not just my bonus content, which includes a listener curated episode and the upcoming Ivana Lynch, aka Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter series of movies, BOCO or bonus episode that is coming this month. And bear in mind, you can also decide to get a gift membership for a friend or even an anonymous Max Funster, which is the most heartwarming thing that happens every Max Fun Drive. And that recipient will, of course, also get access to the amazing bonus content. So let's get back to the amazing Rabia Chowdhury. But in the meantime, I encourage you to go to MaximumFun.org join. Give yourself a new membership or a boost or an upgrade with my love. Did you have a, a sense that young? I know you were talking about, um, you know, having a sense of social issues and stuff and being a part of the paper and stuff. That sounds like you felt, again, we talk about permission. We talk about your parents not wanting you to do this and that. But did you feel a sense of permission of like, I can do this. I can be this voice. I can be I can take this to the next level. I want to study law. I want to. Or was it more just sort of this is the world that I live in now. This is kind of my bubble. And these are the little things I can do here. I'm not going to think about when the world grow when I, you know, when I'm a part of a larger and larger kind of circle, if, if you will. No, listen, I didn't have really any friends in high school. I was. Um, and so and if I did, probably maybe I would have had a little more confidence to that kind of stuff in college, my social circle expanded and I did have a little more confidence to do stuff. But the, the truth is that like I, and it's very common, especially for women, you know, we feel the sense of imposter syndrome where it's like, and, and I, I'm actually amazed at young people nowadays where they feel very, a sense of confidence that they can speak about something that's bigger than themselves. Yeah. Whereas I didn't have that for many years. It wasn't until again, I think, I, I, w- I went through an abusive marriage. I got divorced and I was like, I know stuff that can help people. Mm. Like, I know I know stuff. Like I felt confident enough that I, I thought I actually can offer something. I have something that I can teach people or I can help people through this. Um, and I started writing again. I, I wasn't um, after 9-11 is when I was kind of forced to become a public speaker. And a lot of people were a lot of Muslim American Muslims were. And even then there were constantly, I was just like, you want me to talk about international relations and like the thought, like the thought, like this is not even, I'm not even from the, I'm not from Iraq or Afghanistan or anything like, you know, none of this is actually personally relevant in that sense. And I have no personal knowledge of these, but we had to learn very quickly. And it, it takes a long time to finally get to the point. I mean, I, I think I didn't, maybe when I hit 40 is when I was like, 
I know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> where, where I felt like I, you know, you feel like I do have, I do have a grasp on a certain like expertise and I have experience and, um, yeah. and it, it's, it is more valid or just as valid as, you know, the, my mediocre white male colleague or whatever. Uh-huh. Type of thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it takes time and practice to come into your own, but that young, I, I just, I was a kid, but I would always worried about, I would just sit and cry about like the famine in Ethiopia and things like that. It's like, you know, you know those are, the, I was always just worried about, worried about stuff happening in the world. Yeah. People who listen to the podcast for all the years I've done it know that I was the kid who had to be like led out of the his, like history class because they were like, we're going to watch the killing fields or like, we're really going to dig in and like watch a documentary or, you know, it's a little different than having a kind of dry bone teacher being like, and then in 1961, the Bay of Pigs. And so anything that brought any of that to life for me was so upsetting that I would have to like be excused because uh-huh. I would be like, I'm not okay. Oh, Which is, you know, but, it, but also like, you know, and I think that that's something that I still am hyper aware of, of like the hypersensitivity stuff and kind of understanding like, What's it's the, a gift. Listen. Yeah, but I, also don't I, but like you sometimes you cower from that. Like you're like, "Oh, I can't get involved. Like it's too emotional for me." Or like, you know, those be as we get older and I'm sure you've had this experience as well, there you're constantly having these conversations with yourself of like, "Is this the right fight for me? What am I bringing to this? Is this going to harm me to the point where I can't do more?" elsewhere for long term how short is my fuse like how bright am I going to burn before I like burn out and because I do have a sense of like oh what do I what do I do that's important I should be you know doing this in this third world country or I should be teaching kids who don't know about and so it is this constant thing of like okay am I not being brave here or am I recognizing where my strengths are and and sort of staying away from the stuff that isn't my, you know what I mean? Like that stuff is a constant conversation for me because I'm so hypersensitive. I, yeah. No, listen, I, I am also a highly empathetic person like you. And so I cry easily. I get connected very easily. And I think for people like us, because we feel so deeply the pain of others and the need of others, like we want to just like be available for all of it and see what we can do, but you're going to burn out and achieve pretty much nothing if you do that. So like learning to set boundaries um, is something probably about 10, 12 years ago, I finally, you know, my late thirties, I finally learned how to set boundaries, but also listen, there's always a little voice. Like when, when something, when, when you, when something doesn't come, when you are not able to say, Oh my God, yes, absolutely. Immediately. You got to pay attention to why. Right. Mm. So like I've learned to really, um, listen to my intuition and really interrogate what is it that's concerning me that I'm not like full force in this, like something doesn't feel right. And it's never failed me in quite a while. Um, and, you know, like when, when Serial came out, I was doing this counter-terror policy work, CBE policy work, because I had practiced law, uh, civil rights immigration for over a decade. And I knew how dangerous this stuff was for my community. And I wanted to be one of the people who was directly involved with the government to try to stop the expansion of these policies. And that's why I got involved. And, but when serial, and so I, at the, at the time serial happened, I was an international security fellow at a think tech in DC. I was running this um, training firm for law enforcement communities. And I was something at a crossroads. I was like, if I let a non-story stop here, like that's the end of this momentum. Like he's still not out of prison. Sarah Kennedy didn't solve the case. 
there's no, you know, she didn't even really walk away persuading most of her listeners that he's innocent. She they just kind of left it hanging in the air. I was like, I either, it's got to be one or the other. I have to pivot completely to this work, to the work of innocence and Adnan's case and whatever that leads. Or I got to, I got to continue doing the work I'm doing, which has been the culmination of my legal work. I've never worked in criminal justice professionally. I've never done innocence work professionally, right? Like I left that to the lawyers who do that work for Adnan. And that was really hard. I was like, this is me. I have to give up this entire career I've worked on for like 20 years to pivot completely towards Adnan's stuff. What do I do? And I, and I, my heart told me that if, if I left Adnan's case where Serial left it, that was it. It was, I mean, people would forget about him like a year later, like it was a great story. And then now what's next. And so, you know, I listened to my heart and I was like, I, there are thousands of people working in this policy space that I love doing. I love that work, but there's nobody working on it nonstop. Yeah. You know, so, and I had to make a decision and I did, and I'm so glad I did. Um, That's led me to so much more innocence work. And I, I, I have now basically, I, I call myself an innocence attorney, like, which is not something I've ever done before. Yeah. It's so it's so amazing. It's part part of me wonders if <laughs> this is this is the like we'll never know, but part of me still wants to think like even if for some reason you hadn't pivoted, I still want to believe that Susan would have started a podcast and somehow found Colin. But that's like you don't want that to live on Reddit forever. Thank God you pulled that, you sort of elevated that conversation and saw those opportunities and said, like, I'm going to extract these things from this place that can be a real cesspool. <laughs> like, you Again, know. like, it's kind of like the book. I, it wasn't my idea. Like one of my friends and I give him props every time he's in Shahid Amanullah. He worked for Hillary Clinton in the State Department. Amazing baller guy. When Cyril ended, he's like, Rabia, you have to start a podcast and pick this up. And I'm like, I can't podcast. Well, I can't do any of this. Are you crazy? I'm like, you're crazy. We can't do it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Shahid, we're not going to do this. And then I realized ain't nobody reading our blogs. Yeah. So we had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I had to like convince, but I will say um, props to Susan and Colin because the minute that we see, I suggested it, they were in full force, like head first within a week. Susan's like, we've got a logo. I'm like, Oh my God, this is moving really fast. <laughs> but we also didn't want a lot of time to go by after cereal. Like, smart. you know, so yeah, smart, smart, smart. Uh, when you were a teenager, I know you were spending a lot of time in the dark in the dark room. I know you were showing up in jeans to homecoming and having a, a very visceral, uh, image to imagine the captain of the football team breathing on you in a dark room. I really can relate to that. As I'm like, <laughs> I, I turn around and kiss him? What do I do in this moment? I've You're like narrating it like it's a romance novel. She tilted her face upward at the sweaty yeah. dude. And uh, I'm sure he had, he had absolutely no interest in me. But my God, it didn't take much for me then to fall in love with somebody. You know? I get it. Were you, uh, uh, were you consuming pop culture stuff and having crushes there as well? Were there like musicians or actors or writers that you were like oh they get me they get me jason bateman will never shake me he will never until he is dead or i am dead one or the other (laughs) like um yeah but it was a very it was i did consume but a very limited amount um because we didn't really have i don't remember us having cable in the home we got cable when i maybe it was in high school if we got cable and i didn't get to watch it a lot i there's so many cultural rev pop and you know colin miller is like this he's like a wikipedia of culture and pop culture and he can just pull references and i'm like i don't think i've ever heard any music by this band that existed when i was growing up 
Um, because we listen to so much South Asian stuff mm-hmm. and Pakistani and Indian stuff. Like I was immersed in Bollywood and like Punjabi folk music and all this stuff from like my parents. That's what we listened to and watched at home. You know, we didn't watch a lot of news. Um, so, you know, I and I didn't have the Internet, no smartphones. So to some extent, yeah, I mean, but not a lot. I remember having you know a, a crush on michael jackson you know but i was i was so little i was like maybe 11 years old or that's 10 what years you old. do you have a crush like that's what the, that's what the world tells you to do at that age yeah. with, in his height of fame kirk it was cameron. like don't we all have a crush on michael jackson everyone yeah. i crushed on kirk cameron like everybody else but yeah. you know that he that turned out to be a great disappointment in my adulthood. um <laughs> i think he's on to something ravia i think he is on to something he's got some great ideas Cameron, yeah, good luck to him. Good luck, with good luck to him. Yeah. yeah, you know, Scott Bayo. Come on, what the hell? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I mean, you really have a cross section of like, and and these are all the ways you can turn out when you have yeah. like this similar experience of being a young white boy in Hollywood where no one says no to anything <laughs> that you want or the karate you do. kid. You know, I totally crushed yeah. on the karate kid, and that turned out okay. So, yeah, it turned oh. out great. Listen, I've been enjoying Cobra Kai. Uh, it is a I almost feel like it's a guilty pleasure, but I continue to be like, it's too good to also, be a guilty pleasure. It's too good to be a guilty pleasure. Look, he was brown. And I was like, he looks like he could pass for like a South Asian. Absolutely. Yeah, so I just pretended he was. Oh, was absolutely. Fine. Well, I do this yeah. podcast, Braving the Elements, where we've been kind of deconstructing the Avatar Last Airbender world. And Mikizi Pensano, who's the native cultural representation uh, advisor for for Avatar Studios, was on and he was like, could not he had to tell Dante Bosco, like, dude, I know you're Filipino, but like, you are brown. You're brown. Like I was watching you in movies going like he's brown. That'll do, you know, and like just that sort of. That sort of experience. Ralph I Macchio, Ralph Macchio represented all the Browns back then. Absolutely. All of them. <laughs> Absolutely. No matter what kind of Brown you were. Ah, oh, bless him. Bless him. Before I get into, I have a, a game that I play at the end, which is this game, MASH, which is something that was introduced to me as a uh, child, which is basically like a dumb game about wish fulfillment and creating an alternate universe where you get everything that you want possibly. I, I just want to ask you a little bit. And again, I, I, I don't, this is a question that I ask everybody that I've had on the podcast who is first generation or who is sort of first generation in with respect to whether or not they were born here, just being that first, the child whose parents are, you know, navigating Western culture in a totally different way than you as a young person growing up in the culture or adjacent to the culture. Like, did you feel like that relationship to your family? Did you did you feel like those like were those arguments happening in the house of like, but this but this is what this looks like for these people. Why are you not into that? Or, you know, was that stuff happening? It happened. I will say for some reason, it seems to happen consistently with my Korean friends, like especially oh. their Korean parents. There's a lot of like, no, but <laughs> it's a very different. Like I said, you know, young people amaze me now. They're so much more willing to like push back and challenge your yeah. elders. We were, we did not grow up in a time where you challenged your elders. It was, it would have been considered incredibly disrespectful. So, sure. you know, what we did was navigate, I think for my sister and myself, especially but my brother too, you know, he had a little more, some, you know how it is. Like everybody's like the strictest on the eldest child, right? By the time you get to the last one, you're like, you uh, just do whatever you want. Just don't set the house on fire. Right. 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 Keep yourself alive. Um, so, um, 
but no, we did not grow up in a culture. You know, it was, it was a very traditional black Sunni family where like, you know, you respect your elders, you listen to your elders. Um, and all we tried to do was just navigate these two realities to the extent that we could, we know uh, we weren't allowed to go on sleepovers. We had no friends and like, I had no American friends that I, like we had friends at school, but not friends who like they would come over, we'd go over. Like we, it was just two very separate worlds. Yeah. So yeah. no, I mean now, of course, you know my my parents will say something absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, have you lost your minds? We're gonna watch a documentary <laughs> on the Holocaust right now, okay? Like you know, it's yeah. different now. Yeah. <laughs> we're all adults. <laughs> Growing up, that would not have no, you know, and 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 that's because my parents were raised like that, where you you just and my father always said this. He said. You know, the ethos with which he was raised was that your elders can be completely wrong and, and your job is not to listen to their commands, but to just be respectful and then mm. do, whatever, do whatever you want. Interesting. But just to them, like, be respectful and just be like, okay, and then do what you want. He's like, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say, but I expect you not to disrespect me when I'm saying it. So that's a really know. interesting distinction. I don't I mean, that doesn't I think that's something that should be acknowledged more if it's more common than that, because I do think that people drive this hard line where they assume that respecting your elders means don't ever question them, do everything that you're told, obey, obey, obey. rather than like, I that's... wasn't expected to obey. I was just expected to like, you know, because, you know, when I went on to college, I made choices that, and you know, that my dad didn't support, but my dad didn't challenge either. He said, you're an adult. He's yeah. like, you're entitled to make your choices. And so that was, you know, so he didn't, he didn't expect me to obey. He just expected me to respectfully take his advice. That's I'm wonderful. Saying. That's yeah. wonderful. I mean, I, I, again, I feel like that goes a long way towards understanding how to approach conflict in yeah. a manner that isn't necessarily like constantly front facing and, you know, antagonistic that it can be like, I'm going to be respectful to you. And I absolutely, you will not change my mind in any way, shape or form, but I will be respectful in this way. Yeah. There's, you know, as I'm impressive. a parent, as I'm a parent, I get it. Like, you know, my eldest is almost 25. Then I have a 13 year old and like a almost five year old. And with my eldest and, and my teenager now, um, you know, I, this, it's been a great guide for me because there are lots of times I want, I know my kids are not doing what I wish they would do. Right. I'm like, I wish they would make the kinds of choices that I think are better for them, but they're not gonna, but I still, it just, but I would be a bad parent if I didn't say to them. Like, this is my advice on this. Sure. Now, I know you're going to do what you want, but I have to at least let you know what I, from my experience, I think, you know, this is, this might be a better option for you. And then then let them do what they want. And I think that's a very fair balance. How much do you I, f- I feel parent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you, How much do you feel like that evolution from the 25-year-old to the nearly five-year-old, do you feel like that space has been filled with like, oh, I've learned this, this and this, and now I'm approaching it this way? Because I always feel like I'm the same. I, I know I'm not, but sometimes I feel like, I don't know, have I learned anything? And that's not fair to myself. But how old are you, Janet? Oh, I'm uh, about to turn 46. Oh, my God. You look like you're like 31. You're like, you're so gorgeous. Sunscreen, baby. Like yeah, I guess. Um, Tucson, Arizona. Don't get skin cancer. You are stunning. Um, no, that's you. I have to say that I'm a completely different parent now than I was when I was. I had my eldest when I was 22. I was a baby having a baby. And you were in the relationship that you were in, which is a whole yeah. different context. It was just I was just trying to survive. I yeah. was living with 10 in-laws, an abusive husband, working, going to law school. And I had a baby. It was like I was just trying to survive. But also I was I was a different person at 22. I was I was like when I got married, 21, I was still in college. I was still eating like you know, fast food and pizza and not work exercise. Like I wasn't taking care of myself. I didn't know enough about 
life and the world and yeah. people and dynamics. I did not understand childhood development. I didn't have any education in that. Um, I am a very different parent as I grow up. Like I just as an adult learning about things, especially in the last 10, 12 years about what motivates people to act a certain way? What, what is, what does childhood trauma do to people? Why, you know, like just the, how does generational abuse like manifest itself? What does it look like? Like having more grace for people and trying to, and compassion and understanding why somebody is acting a certain way, which of course I didn't have when I was younger. And also breaking out of this idea that kids are there to be um, seen and not heard. Like we're learning to respect my children as, full human beings who have a right to have a shitty day and be in a bad mood if they want and decide, okay, I'll do the dishes, mom, but not now. Can I do it? I'm going to do them later. Like, you know, like, whereas I grew up just saying, okay, you know, this is, these are your chores. You got to do them. And, and you just, you just kind of did it. Um, And with my eldest, I just, I didn't have those parenting skills. Right. Um, And I, you learn, I think I'm just a much better parent now than I was then. Um, And I, I, there, even now I, I, I feel like, you know, I need to apologize to my elder. She's wonderful. She's the sweetest, sweetest young woman. She's turned out. I'm so proud of her. Um, she bought her own house last year. She's nice. working a full-time job. She's doing her master's at Georgetown. I mean, Damn, hello, awesome. success, success all around. Yeah. But if I, if I could go back and say, God, I wish I had more time with you at the time. I wish we went on walks together. Sure. I wish I fed you you know, carrots instead of Mama Celeste pizza. Um, you know? <laughs> uh, I wasn't eating carrots. What then. if you did all of that and somehow that had an adverse effect? You can't want to change anything because everything led to her being in the spectacular place that she's in. She needed that Mama Celeste pizza. That's those butterflies. It all had effect, to be that right? way. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it I, all had to be that way. It all had to be that way. So, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm I'm sure that you you are different. I feel like we're all different people. No, every you're time. right. You're right. It's my it's my it's my both my fear. And but a part of that for me is like not having had kids is the feeling of like, would that have turned me into a mature human being in a way that like <laughs> now I'm living in Peter Pan land in Los Angeles? Like this might not be good. It would force you to be a different version of yourself. It, I would be a different version. Yeah. OK. I thought said I was going to ask nothing else and go to this mash game. But I do want to ask one more thing, which is in the book, because you because you're talking about, you know, you do talk a little bit about the marriage, not in any any great detail, but you do you're revealing about yourself in a non story in a way that for me felt like it did make me want to know Robbie's story. And I know that that's not the purpose of the book. And I think it what a balance to strike to have that stuff to really, again, contextualize your involvement and kind of, but also your journey into getting to the point where you were doing Undisclosed and, and explaining why you're the one telling Adnan's story. Was that a difficult, did you feel conflicted about how much or how little, or did it feel sort of like it yeah. felt like the right amount at the time? Because I could see you being like, oh, I don't know how much of this should be in here, or, you know? Yeah, certainly. Look, I mean, I think the reason I decided to add some of that was because I, I could not as the narrator and, you know, I, I could not as the narrator, like leave this void because people ask, have always yeah. asked. Well, oh, I would have a- felt that absence. Of yeah. It. And people ask, were you Adnan's lawyer the whole time? Like, what was your role? What was right. happening? And there were lots of reasons that, no, I was not Adnan's lawyer. I mean, first of all, I was right out of law school. I should not, I had no business being Adnan's lawyer, but also that there was all these things happening in my personal life that I was trying to survive that really limited how much I could even do. Um, yeah. outside of like school and work and family uh, for Adnan. And, you know, my ex, 
he didn't make it easy to support Adnan. Adnan would, when Adnan would call us, this was back when every call made from the prison he was in had to be a clutch call. They weren't allowed. They didn't have the system where they have their own accounts and they can pay for it uh, at the time. And so, you know, we'd end up with like monthly bills of hundreds of dollars. And my, my ex was like, I don't know who this kid is and I don't give a crap. I'm not spending hundreds of dollars on his like, calls from prison. And, you know, he, my, my ex was completely uninterested in any of that. And so it was really hard to, I wanted people to understand like what I had to try to balance and in order to, and still like, you know, pay attention to Adnan's case and why I wasn't able to give more of myself to it. Frankly. Yeah. But I'm glad that you did anyway, because that, that side of it, again, yeah. it just informs anybody who's paying attention of the idea that, you know, our experiences do make us. And that doesn't mean that we wish that kind of relationship on anyone, but it does show that you can survive it, you can pull through it, and that you can come into your own in a profound way, you know, if the circumstances are allow for it. If I um, had not been... So, you know, look, I, I grew up in a home, like I, my dad is a, a teddy bear. I never in my life had seen a man raise his hand to a woman yeah. ever. Yeah. I don't even think I ever heard my dad yell. Like he's, you know, my, my mom is like the crazy one. <laughs> my dad was always very good. So I had never experienced like male violence. And, but I know growing up, I was always like, oh my God, if a guy hit me, I'd be out of there. I'd leave. And then I didn't. And I was hit over and over again. And I didn't leave. And I was somebody in law school raised in this country and I didn't, you know what I mean? I, I, you would think I had all, like, it's not like I was this immigrant woman who didn't speak the language and had no resources, but the sense of shame, like, you know, I, if you had ta- told me these things that women experience, I, intellectually, it might not have resonated with me, but when I experienced it myself, then I was able to go out and, and much of my early work in immigration was doing VAWA work, which is Violence Against Women Act, which is basically representing um, immigrant women who mm. are um, victims of domestic violence. You know, yeah. rarely do you get a male client, but sometimes you do. Um, and I would—I don't know if I would have been able to do that work in the same way had I not ex- escaped an abusive marriage myself. Absolutely. Yeah, because I completely understood like how women, how abu- victims who then become survivors, um, just feel a sense of shame, feel stuck, feel fear like how many things prevent you from just like picking up your keys and leaving? Like people say that like so easy. So I looking, of course, I don't wish it upon anybody, but looking back every one of these really terrible situations, you know, being a single mom, having to fight for a cusp, like there's, there's lots of stuff that I have experienced that I don't wish upon anybody, but every single one of things has um, deepened my understanding of human beings and, and my appreciation for what people go through. So it's been uh, worth it. I'm fawning. I'm fawning. I'm fawning. God damn it. I'm fawning. By the way, you know, my I have a memoir coming out in the fall, but it's going to be a lot more. Uh, <gasps> you do? I do. Yeah. It's going to be something like I never talk about really publicly uh, much, but it's called Fatty Fatty Boom Boom. And it's a memoir about food, fat and family because yes. um, my, I have had a weight struggle my whole life. And much of the struggle has been external because people are like, you're fat. <laughs> do something about yourself. Uh, but I love food. And so um, I'm excited about this because it's it's a part of my story that it's like I've never really told. And so you'll get to hear a lot about like young Dorothy Rabia in middle school and high school and all that. Stuff. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, good. Yeah. OK, great. Oh, my gosh. All right. Maybe I can have you back once it's out and I can just sit and fawn over some more little anecdotes here and there. This could be great. And then I'll go on to solve crimes with you and then we'll move in together. <laughs> okay. Hi, it's Danielle Radford. I mean, that one I wasn't even 
trying. She has a much smoother, more beautiful voice than I do. But it's me, Janet. I want to tell you a little bit more about some of the amazing things happening during Max Fun Drive. And I also want to take this time to celebrate some amazing comments I've received from listeners that have absolutely made my week. You know what? They've made my month. You know what? They've made my year. First, I want to play a quick snippet of this wonderful voicemail from Anthony. Thank you so much, Anthony. And now I'm going to read some of the Instagram comments that I got. Kat says, the only podcast I listen to religiously got me through tough times and splendid times. Kevin says, discovered your podcast a few months into the pandemic and still listen each week and support it every month through Max Fun. Kevin, you're the best. It's a delight to listen to every Thursday. Avus Art says, I love it. My favorite episode is probably Yvette Nicole Brown. Her words of wisdom were amazing, and I think of it all the time. Gosh, I've been lucky to have so many fantastic guests and listeners. Now let's talk about gifts. Let's talk about bonus content. Of course, you get the bonus content I talked about earlier in our last break for $5 a month or more. You get access to my bonus content as well as the network-wide bonus content from this year and every year. Of course, if you're at $10 a month, you can enjoy a charming patch. You can choose the JV Club patch or another podcast you support. But I do love my JV Club patch. It's a fortune teller or a cootie catcher. Listen, there's a lot of weird names for this, but you've seen it. It's the folded up piece of paper that you sort of stick your hands into. And then there are letters, numbers, uh, fortunes. And um, it's very childlike and I love it so much. It's also sort of like origami. At the $20 a month level, you get a creativity kit that includes a pair of custom Blackwing pencils, a colorful lump of modeling clay, a set of fun postcards, and a beautifully illustrated deck of cards featuring activity ideas from each show to inspire creativity and connection. I know a little bit about the activities from many of the other podcasts, and I have to say this is such a wonderful get. It was a great idea on behalf of the network. I'm so excited about my participation in it. Mesh game, anyone? And I just can't recommend this enough. But if you're not a creativity kit person, rest assured at $20 a month you can also choose a maximum fun embroidered hat it's got the rocket on it the classic max fun rocket logo I love it so much and when you jump up to $35 a month there's also a messenger bag involved come on it's so cute stick your max fun patch on there so thank you again to the wonderful listeners who allowed me to read their comments. And before we jump back into Rabia's episode, feel free to go to MaximumFun.org join. That's MaximumFun.org join. Okay, I want to play this MASH game. Basically, the only thing I need from you is just to sort of um, speak extemporaneously when I give you these categories. What happens with this MASH game is I'm building this alternate universe for you. And even though it starts as a game, what ends up happening to people is when I say, for example, three films that you can jump into whenever you want and just be in that world with those characters, you're not reliving the plot. People are like, oh, that sounds fun. And then they're like, wait a minute, this is a lifetime decision I'm about to make. Hold on. Like, <laughs> this is important. And I just want you to know it's okay if an hour from now you're like, why did I say da-da-da? I meant that I wanted to jump in blah-blah-blah. So it's wherever you are in the moment. But let's start with that category. Give me three films that it would be lovely to be able to escape into and just be in that world whenever you wanted to. All right. The first one is my maybe my favorite film of all time, but it's a Bollywood film. And yeah. it's called Umrao John. And it's a classic from the 80s. And it's based on the true story of a 19th century courtesan a woman who's a dancer in these you know fancy male men's gatherings and stuff it's the most beautiful story heartbreaking beautiful costumes and set i know that movie inside and out and the woman who is who stars in the role um i really feel like 
like there's a part of her in me. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's number one. Oh my God. Uh, my version of that, by the way, is um, Kama Sutra because I wasn't exposed to anything Bollywood at all. But Mira Nair, Nair did this amazing movie uh, about a courtesan, right? So that's what yeah. popped up for me. I was like, Indira Varma, Indira Varma. Like I was obsessed oh, with I that get movie. It. But let me tell you, um, we'll talk about that movie separately. I'm sure Jen. it's, I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> first of all, I haven't seen it since I was in high school. And second of all, I'm sure there's a lot of things about it that maybe are complicated. <laughs> But a, little, a, a, a yeah. bit of the orientalist gaze, let's just put it like I'm that. I'm sure but. that's, yeah, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. How about like My Beautiful Laundrette and some of the stuff? I mean, that's the, the, there are some great books out there. Oh, yeah. so good. Um, I think my second book would be The Usual, um, the Usual Suspect. Ooh, love it. Oh, my God. I love that movie so much. Oh, uh, and I just, you know, I, I, I've always loved a good mystery. I love suspense. I love trying to figure out what, what really happened. And yeah. I, I'll never stop being completely shocked at the ending because it was it was just so different. Like that movie was so different, I think. And I loved it. So that's the second one. A third one would I don't really know if there I mean like it's so crazy. Like I watched on the films. Is there a third one that I really love so much? It could be a TV show too, if there's something like oh, I wish I could hang out with Oh my God. If there was a TV show and I'll pick something contemporary um yeah. it would be murders in the building great i <laughs> so badly want to be living in one of those apartments next to martin short <laughs> and be like looping <sighs> with martin short are you kidding he me he is divine on that series i mean yeah, i love it yeah, <sighs> i would love to, i would love to be in succession too but yeah the, it, there's Oof. god everybody's so horrible i know it's so, there's like a <laughs> it's like a cold slime that you have to like get on you to be in that even though it's a brilliant amazing show i think i'd be like oh why am i always cold <laughs> like why am yeah, i always yeah. cold here am i alive am i dead <laughs> exactly exactly okay uh next yeah. one let's do three places in the world that you would love to have a uh it could be a getaway home or it could be like an active busy home but a second home uh, and we're going to assume we can teleport you there so three places oh, in the god. world you would oh. love to have a second home I love this. I hope this is actually manifesting in the it's universe. It's going to happen. Um, it is going to happen. Yeah. First, Pakistan. Lahore, Pakistan, my birthplace. That's where I was born. I love Lahore so much. Um, I have always wanted... I mean, we have our ancestral homes there, but like, you know, they're divided amongst like 3,000 relatives. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> you know, my own place in, in Lahore is such a beautiful city. So much heritage and history there and the love culture it. and the food. So that's... And I'm going to make that happen. Like we are... I'm always looking at properties online. In oh, Lahore. nice. Oh, yeah. You will make that happen. Number two would be, this is going to sound so bougie, but I love Switzerland so much. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. So Are you yeah. kidding me? I've only been there once, but I did do like the train from Milan to Paris and oh. stayed in in yeah, some tiny little, but it was a town on the it, lake. And I was like, oh, Interlaken. Is... You're probably Interlaken. I wasn't. Uh, I, it, was some, it was like, oh, you know where it was? It was wherever Freddie Mercury has a statue. And I don't know why he does, but there's like a <laughs> jazz festival that happens there. And on Lake Geneva, there's a huge like statue uh, of Freddie Mercury. And you're like, this is, okay. feels out of place. But I guess they he loved it there or they recorded there or something. Anyway. Oh, um, no, I've been to Switzerland a few times great. and it's like heaven on earth. And so I would want, you know, that one beautiful kind of like somewhere in the Alps, like that yeah. one Alpine home. But then I need a tropical home yes, too. Indeed. Yes. So, you know, somewhere maybe in like St. Lucia or the Bahamas or great. I don't know, somewhere in the tropics. I need the, the cold, the older I get, the colder I get. Like yeah. I can't take DC winters anymore. I'm like, I now understand why people move to Florida as they age. Like I'm I don't blame point. you. My circulation is garbage. Like I used to be like, all I want to live in is moist fog. And now my head wants that. But as soon as it's foggy, I'm like my joints, my joints. <laughs> 
Um, okay, next one. Let's do three skills that we're going to give you kind of matrix style so that you could wake up tomorrow and be, you know, know this language or all languages or play the piano or be, be yeah. a, I already know that you cook. So but um, uh, three things, three skills you would love to just sort of oh, suddenly have I and love. be brilliant at. One, I want to be able to sing like a nightingale. Great. Oh my God. I'm just, you know, I'm so moved by singers and music and the ability for them to just like literally make people weep and, and bring joy. Um, number two, I have loved, loved classical Indian um, dance and there's different forms, Bharatnatyam and Gathak. I know these are, I'm just saying these words and, and they might sound like, like, what did you, she just say? But anyway, um, and I loved it growing up. And as an adult, I, I was able to finally like take like four years of lessons, but that's not like people train for like 25 years. Right. If I could be wake up and be a trained classical Indian dancer. Oh, that'd be amazing. And the third skill would be, this is going to be so sad. I don't know how to swim. I want to like know how to swim. Just wake up and know how to swim like really well. Great. Okay. Next one is three foods. We just talked about foods, three foods that in this alternate universe are neither like we're just leveling the playing field. So nothing is like ecologically irresponsible. Nothing has too many calories. Nothing is you're allergic to. You can eat a sheet cake if you want with zero ramifications, uh, yeah. or you could have a be- that beautiful piece of sushi you had that one time where you're like, why can't I ever get that umami again? Yeah. Three. Okay. My first food would be, <laughs> this is so sad. I sound like a toddler, but the most perfect New York style pizza ever. Hell Chili yeah. crust. Yeah. 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 That like that to me is like perfect food. Um, number two would be um, Bilal. Bilal is like a, it's a rice dish that's made in South Asia. That's rice, basmati rice cooked in a meat broth. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's just like. Speaking of umami, it ha- it's like yes, sumptuous. It so, yes, it's because the rice is cooked in the broth. You have hunks of meat. It can yeah. be meat, beef, or lamb, or chicken. But it's and then you at the end you finish it with um, clarified like ghee, clarified butter, and yeah. like fried. It's amazing. So if I could eat that by the sackfuls, and the third thing would be probably I'm I'm I have a hundred percent turned into my mother is Pakistani sweets. Like I love like South Asian sweets. Like yeah, like we, my a cousin of mine just brought a box. Fresh from Lahore, two. It was made in Lahore two days ago. Oh, and the box, wow! Literally, and there's an assortment of it, so I can't pick one because it depends on my mood. But it's in the back of my fridge because every day I get to have one piece, and nobody else in my house is allowed to touch it. Um, and I've never even grown up liking sweets, but now after having like a boy, I don't know what happened when I was pregnant. Uh-huh. But- <laughs> I love South Asian sweets. So is it? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of if I've had many South Asian sweets. The one that's the most common for people who might have had it, like who are not South Asian, are called gulab jam. And they look like in Indian restaurants, you'll get them at, at a dessert menu. They look like little brown balls of like, like little donut balls or something in a syrup. That's the one thing that's most common people might have. But most people, that's the thing, are not familiar with South Asian desserts. They know it's like true. It's the- not. Yeah. When I when I when I eat South Asian food, I'm not taking it all the way to the dessert level because I'm always yeah. so full. By the yeah. end, the only thing that I'm thinking of right now, which is fully Indian and South Indian, is loving um, licorice, like black licorice, like little candy pieces of anise and licorice and stuff, which is like... Oh, that's so like, far removed from what I'm talking yeah, it's about. So I, far well, gonna, it's so far removed. It's so far removed. I'm going to get your address. I'm going to send you a box <gasps> of Pakistani. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, you're going to love them. Oh, Unless no, you're allergic exciting. to anything, you let me know. But, you know, usually they're studded with all kinds of nuts and they're creamy, fudgy things. And oh, every single thing is made of milk in a completely different way, but it's brilliant. It's like, how many things can you make out of milk? Dried milk, like condensed milk. It's amazing. You know, Sean P, the the fitness guru? Yeah. 
so him and his husband came to our home a couple of years, a few years ago, and it was the first time he had black sunny food. And then I served them that exact dessert, those little balls, donut balls type of things. And they saw, they just, they are, he was like licking his spoon. He's like, <laughs> what is this? What is this? So I sent some boxes of it later in the year. Too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, okay. So next one, let's do three. Now, listen. This is a MASH game. MASH always comes with some romance, okay? Some sexy time, some romance, alternate universe, all due respect to anyone's existing partners in life. It's crush time. Three people, uh, they can be fictional characters, they can be cartoons, they can be real people, they can be living or dead, whatever you want. Sky's the limit. Three. Oh, Jason Bateman is at the top of my list. Great. I mean, they can be dead. I mean, yeah, we're not going to, like, make you yeah. kiss a zombie. This is, like, all yeah. fake, fake world. So that person comes back. You, you got to add Tupac Shakur. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, and this is so sad, but oh, I have to think of Benedict Cumberbatch. I can barely say his name. But him and Sherlock. <laughs> him and Sherlock got me. Yeah. I know. I know. He's, I mean, that was, yeah. He's also his voice is just, like, you do not yeah. expect that voice from that shape mm-hmm. of face and body. You're like, what's happening? intensity oh yeah brilliant very sexy totally agree um all right next category let's do three people from history um living or dead that you i'm going to give you the opportunity to sort of sit at a cafe with for a few hours and just talk to just like i've i've met and and hung out with so and so three okay listen top of my list has to be the Muslim prophet Muhammad, because you know, I got I got a lot of questions for him. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> I gonna be like, so I heard these things are not allowed. Can you explain to me why? <laughs> there yeah, you go. Um, he's definitely gonna be top of this. Um, number two might be. Let me think. Um, Harriet Tubman. Great. Harriet Tubman, for sure. Um, and number three would be. A man named Iqbal, who is the national poet of Pakistan, mm. who was just the most incredible genius. I mean, his poetry and literature is, it's like the, the Shakespeare of our time, but he was just mind blowing his stuff. So that would be my three. I love it. I'm so glad that poetry is still important to all yeah. kinds of different cultures and that that's something that's still elevated because that feels like something that could fall by the wayside with like our cynical cultures, I mean, you know. His poetry from like a hundred years ago, I mean, he's long dead, but his poetry, it inspired revolutions. It helped people escape British colonialism. I mean, like mm-hmm. it, it moved people to like have some integrity and dignity and, 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 and lift themselves out of like, um, out of basically British slavery. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it had a huge impact. He was incredible. I love it. Okay. All right. Uh, second to last category. Let's do three. Let's do three alternate universe careers where you get to just, it's we're, it's going to be only the highlights because obviously everything has a uh, downside, but these are like you're the highlights of these three careers. This is going to sound so crazy. Um, my first would be a tree doctor. Amazing. I love trees i don't know i just i don't want to explain any further i just love trees and if i could spend my life just being in around trees and trying to heal them and understand them and talk to them i would be so happy um second one would be maybe a marine biologist um because same thing i mean just getting up every single day and being able to like be with these beautiful animals and um and my third one would totally be astrophysicist 
I love physics. I love quantum physics. I love the universe terrifies me and I'd love to like work in that, uh, that kind of stuff. For me, that the version of that is like, I would love to be a a studying consciousness uh, scientist, which is sort of physics, like that whole idea of like science has not been able to explain what consciousness is. Um, So for people who are like non-spiritual, but who are totally baffled by how consciousness exists to be able to like wrap your head around that, I think would be so amazing to just be at the forefront of that. I never even thought of that. Like that, that's actually a field of study. That's amazing. It totally is. I know. I've, I've like I've dipped a toe and I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. This is really cool because <laughs> it's a place where those things could meet. Do you know what I mean? I'm all I'd like any place where science and spirituality has a meaningful exchange is so exciting to me. So, um, OK, great. OK, final category. Ooh, final category. <gasps> I know what I want to ask you. And this is such a no brainer. And how did I let this get to the end without asking three mysteries that you are going to be able to get solved for all of us from any era, any culture, any time, anything. Three mysteries that's like, well, we know. Like, now we know. No one has to wonder anymore. We figured it out. I mean, I think, you know, with the first one. (laughs) Adnan's case, I do. (laughs) Um, And you know what? I think we might actually be able to solve that one day. I was going to say, the only reason I thought that would be off that is if I was like, this might be more tangible than... This you is know. this is actually yeah doable, and I I think you know because not everything has been not everything has been done in the case that should be done to solve it, and I think that's doable. Um, the second mystery might be. I've always wondered as a kid. I was always obsessed with Amelia Earhart, mm-hmm. um, so I think that could be a fun one. The third mystery is your life after death. Can you solve that now? Well, you might. <laughs> you might. Or right. you might you study consciousness. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, give me a number between one and seven. Five. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the eeny meeny. It's very okay. scientific. A lot of physics involved. A lot of physics. Will yeah. you please uh, promote anything you would like people to be aware of or be following? Um, we haven't even talked about Hidden Gin. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you're up to that, you know, people probably already know about. But if not, feel free to throw that out there right now while I do this. Sure. Well, Undisclosed uh, continues its work. We just have our new season drop. We wrapped up a great 20 episode season this fall. So definitely check that out. It's the case of Jason Carroll. Um, I, two years ago or last year wrapped up, um, a a series called the hidden gin, which was amazing to produce. The first 10 episodes are scripted and researched by me. The second 10 episodes are interview shows with people who've had experiences with gin. And, um, it's something that will blow your mind. Um, anybody can listen to it. It's not like made for one audience or another. It's history and theology and all kinds of wonderful. Oh, thank you, Jenna. And it was so much fun doing it. I'm currently producing something that's a lot of fun. I've never delved in fiction before. It's my first kind of toe in fiction, which is a podcast called Nighty Night. It comes out every other Tuesday and it's like bedtime stories, um, creepy bedtime stories for adults. And every single story is based on like some kind of real life or true life event or oh, happening person. That is awesome. Is, I think you yeah, mentioned that is, somewhere, but I can't remember where. I knew that there was some kind of storytelling thing about yeah. to happen. So at but, the end oh. of every story, after you're done, and I narrate single person narration, at the end of it, I tell you, this is what inspired the story. This is what who the real people are. This is what you can. And I, and, I, and I love having that like there um, as an inspiration. And then I have a memoir coming out um, at the end of, in November called Fatty Fatty Boom Boom. And it's for anybody who's ever, who loves food, who 
has ever struggled with weight or not. Um, and, uh, and has crazy family, loves crazy family stories. So it's uh, a memoir of food, fat and family. And I'm excited about that. Um, I'm so excited about that. I also say, I think this is going to be a very big year in Adnan's case. There's a lot happening behind the scenes that I know we've been quiet on the surface, but there are waves and waves happening underneath. So keep an eye out. Yeah, that's really, really exciting. Yeah. Getting that, getting that uh, little update from you on the free Adnan uh, side of things was like, was oh, like, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. So I have the results in the meantime. I am feeling. Read my face. I think you're going to be pleased. I'm not going to lie to you. I think you're going to be very pleased. First of all, I want to compliment you on your astonishing, beautiful, emotionally fulfilling nightingale of a voice just because you already have such a beautiful voice to listen to and I know I'm not the only person who says that you know the fact that like you should know that whether or not you feel you can sing I do feel that your voice already has that quality just as a speaker and a reader and and an orator it's you have such a beautiful voice so uh but we've taken it up a notch I guess we've kicked it up a notch uh you're an astonishing uh astonishing singer I don't know if that's where some of the money came from because I know for you to have a mansion in Switzerland. Um, <laughs> I love you, it. <laughs> you certainly have come into some money, and I'm guessing it's probably not from your time as a tree doctor. So oh, no. while you are able to work in and among the magnificent, connected, under-the-earth creatures that are trees, I feel the exact same way you do, um, you have that experience. Somehow you do also have that mansion in Switzerland. So perhaps it's from... The singing money. It's from the singing money. Uh, you yeah. also, if you for some reason are not getting enough out of uh, your time in Switzerland, you can also jump into the usual suspects whenever you mm. want and just get that mystery on you. You are probably going to be very busy doing all these various and sundry things. So I want you to know that when your appetite kicks in, you can have the perfect New York style pizza whenever, wherever, snap of your fingers. There it is waiting for you. Um, Perfect crispiness. No repercussions. (laughs) Zero repercussions. Uh, You also have the ability to spend a little time with Harriet Tubman which I think will be extremely meaningful and very inspiring. Um, And you you also have this um, real hot, got a great voice himself. And I could still be talking about anybody, but probably not Jason Bateman, which I'm not. You have ended up with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah. So he's going to fill out that mansion in Switzerland real nice in his like smoking jacket. Apologies to my husband. He can hang out in the basement. <laughs> oh, that's will... so generous. Oh, he's going to hang yeah. out in the basement. I love it. Uh, and then that just leaves us with the final, um, and maybe this is the very first thing that will manifest itself in real life as this 100% guaranteed MASH future happens for you, which is that uh, we will get the resolution for Hay. So. Yep. Yep. That I one. We love count this. On. I love it. Ugh, I love it. So all great. the mysteries. <laughs> Of all the, I know. It is the most solvable. <laughs> the universe was very clear on like that's definitely going to be Rob, what Rabia gets for sure. Uh, this has it. been such a dream. I am so excited. I will always be an enormous fan, 
but I also am so proud to think of you as a, a bit of a peer or just, you know, a person that um, that that I can Friend. that I can talk to and be around. Yeah, I'm I just sending, I'm sending you some Pakistani. Desserts. I can't. I'm, it's, it's, it's a dream come true. Um, you're wonderful. And I'm always excited about every next thing you do. So I cannot wait. And that does include the Pakistani sweets. So <laughs> you are, you are awesome. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. I really, really had a great time. Hey, it's Ify Wadway. I mean, that was not bad. One of my favorite human beings on Earth. But it is actually me, Janet, wrapping up this episode with the phenomenal Rabia Chowdhury. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, this is the last week of Max Fun Drive, and so I wanted to just finish up with a couple more Instagram posts from listeners. May Sela says, I think your podcast is truly special. My favorite episode was with PJ Byrne, just because I'm a Legend of Korra fan. But learning about both you and PJ was a treat. Mike says, this podcast is my comfort zone. Hannah says, I was first introduced to your podcast after listening to your episode on Totally Lame. There were maybe 15 episodes at that point, and I immediately fell in love. Episodes like the ones you did with Maria Bamford, Kula Falesak, and Christina Jasberg changed my life for the better, and I'll be forever grateful to you and your podcast. Oh no, I'm going to cry. Christina says, me and my college friends love listening to every episode. You always have interesting topics and people. Ugh. I almost got through this second week without crying. So just to quickly restate, at 200 new Boosting or Upgrading members, I will be providing a Janet Reads from her Teenage Diaries episode. I really do want to make it happen, but I can't emphasize enough how into my soul you will be staring if I reach this goal. And at 300 new Boosting or Upgrading members, I will be doing a live trivia with Legend of Korra, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and JV Club prizes. And don't forget about all the other wonderful rewards. Amazing bonus content, patches, creativity kit, hat, bag, all available when you go to MaximumFun.org slash join and select the JV Club to support. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. It really has been a tough week in many ways for so many of us. And I'm grateful as can be for this community and for the opportunity to really connect with so many thoughtful, compassionate, wonderful folks with senses of humor. So thanks again. MaximumFun.org slash join. Thank you for making the show possible. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.